I was trying to think of when we've been in the book of Exodus uh, this past year. And so we, most recently, we started it, the book of Exodus with Shifra and Pua and the midwives and the women who started the revolution. After that, um, we have the stories of Moses that a lot of us know um, from our childhood and from popular culture. Uh, the people are in slavery. God raises up Moses to lead them out of Egypt into freedom. There are the plagues. And then if you remember in February, Professor Yolanda Norton was preached with us as Pharaoh's army pursues um, the people of Israel as they're escaping. And she asked us to think about ourselves, uh, to identify with Pharaoh's army and to think of the times that God is just telling us to stop. Well, now the people have passed through the waters. They are on the other side. They have come to freedom. They're moving through the wilderness, and here's what they experience in Exodus 16. And Martha's going to come and read our scripture for today. Martha. The whole congregation of the Israelites complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the hand of God in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the flesh pots and ate our fill of bread, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill us this whole assembly with hunger. Then God said to Moses, I am going to rain bread from heaven for you, and each day the people shall go out and gather enough for that day. In that way, I will test them, whether they will follow my instruction or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, in the evening, you shall know that it was God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning, you shall see the glory of God, because God has heard you complaining against God. For what are we that you complain against us? And Moses said, when God gives you meat to eat in the evening and your fill of bread in the morning, because God has heard and com the complaining that you utter against God, what are we? Your complaining is not against us, but against God. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of Israelites, Draw near to God, for God has heard you complaining. And as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the Israelites, they looked toward the wilderness, and the glory of God appeared in the cloud. God spoke to Moses and said, I have heard the complaining of the Israelites. Say to them, At twilight you shall eat meat. And in the morning you shall have your fill of bread. Then you shall know that I am your sovereign God. In the evening, quails came up and covered the camp. And in the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the layer of dew lifted, there on the surface of the wilderness was a fine flaky substance, as fine as frost on the ground. When the Israelites saw it, they said to one another, What is it? Or manna. For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, It is the bread that God has given you to eat. We celebrate the written word of Scripture. Thanks be to God. We celebrate the living word, Christ among us. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Holy God, in the wilderness, you brought your people manna in the morning and water from the rock. We have come here to feast 
on your word and to drink from streams of living water. In this time, may we experience your word so that we may become your word to bless the world you love. Amen. This morning's scripture is one of the grumbling stories of Exodus. Maybe it's familiar. The people have been suffering in slavery in Egypt. God gives them a leader in Moses and then takes on the power of Pharaoh with a series of plagues. And then with Pharaoh on their heels, God brings them out, up out of Egypt, the waters part, and they cross over into freedom, headed to the land of promise. The waters close in on Pharaoh's troops, and there the people are, on the other shore, free. From there, they travel in stages. They go about three days into the wilderness and find some stagnant water, and they grumble. Moses, the water here stinks. We have nothing to drink. And so God makes the bitter water fresh and assures them, remember, I am the God who heals you. They go a little further, about a month's journey, and in this morning's scripture, and they grumble again. Moses, there's no food here. Did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us all here? And God brings them food. Quail in the evenings and this thing called manna in the morning. That day and the next and then the next. Then after today's story, they go a little further and they find that there's little water in the desert, actually no water. And so they grumble again. Moses, there's no water here. Did you bring us all the way here into this desert to kill not only us, but our children and our livestock? And God tells Moses to strike a rock and water comes from the rock. The people are thrust out into this journey and it is hard and they grumble. And what they don't yet know is that they will travel on through this wilderness grumbling at the hardship for 40 years. These grumbling stories from Exodus come up regularly in the lectionary and in our worship. Sometimes we also read them during Lent when we're thinking particularly about a wilderness journey. There's a way of reading these stories that offers a critique of the grumbling. And maybe there's a point to be made about that in the text. The people do give us a lot to work with. I mean, they're rather over the top with the grumbling. Oh, if only we could be back in Egypt, back in slavery where we sat in front of flesh pots, big stews, uh, pots of stewing meat. What were you thinking, Moses? Did you bring us all out here in the desert to kill us? They are vocal. But I'm not interested this morning in critiquing the grumbling, because here's the thing. The Hebrew people grumble because they are a month out into the wilderness and there is no food and they are hungry. The Hebrew people grumble because they go even miles further into a desert and there's no water and they are thirsty. The Hebrew people grumble because the journey is hard and because their need is real and God listens. God takes their grumbling and their deep human needs seriously. So let's do that too and take their grumbling seriously and see what we see. Who knows what the people thought when they left Egypt? They were in slavery and they were promised freedom. And weeks later, they find themselves free, but in the middle of a desert with families to feed and no food to eat. Nothing around them is familiar. Their usual ways of living and surviving however they can are gone. And they remember Pharaoh's bread and Pharaoh's meat. 
probably not accurately because they're forgetting the slavery, but they grumble to Moses, hey Moses, we had food there. We don't have food here. And God listens. God replaces Pharaoh's boiling pots of meat with quail and Pharaoh's bread with bread from heaven. God says, in this wilderness, it's you and me, and I'll provide. Every night there will be quail for dinner, and every morning you'll go out and you'll gather this bread that I will send from heaven, and it will be enough for that day. And then the next day, there will be enough for that day, and then for the next day, and then for the next day by day by day. And then every week on the day before the Sabbath, there will be a two-day portion so you can even take your Sabbath rest. After God says all that, that evening, there's quail. And in the morning, they find the ground covered with this mysterious flaky substance. It will later be described as like white coriander seed, the taste of what it was, uh, the taste of it was like wafers made of honey. They call it manna, naming it after the question that they asked. What is this? That's what manna is. It is, what is this? We were um, talking this week and I, I was saying to my family that if they were French, they would have said, they would have called it je ne sais quoi. What, it was something I don't know. Um, and my sister said, you know, if they were American, they would have said that God gives them a little something, something. Um, what is this, this manna, this new bread that sustains us in this wilderness, just enough for each day and then for the next? So let's notice a few things here. And the first thing I notice is compassion. Compassion for these people out on this journey that's so much longer than they ever expected. As biblical scholar Michael Chan describes that they are in that uncomfortable space between departure and destination. They have left where they've been, but they've not yet arrived where they're going. They're traveling by stages and each stage of the journey brings new hardship. And with each stage, the destination seems even further away than when they set out. The journey for them is starting to feel like a long haul. And there's compassion because that feels closer to home these days, fresh. This sense of being on a long haul journey. I've started to hear folks in our community use that phrase long haul to describe our journey through pandemic and through everything else this year has brought. We started back in March with a sudden jump into sheltering in place and physical distancing, our collective effort to flatten the curve to help slow the spread of COVID-19 so that health officials and medical professionals could build up our capacity to care for those with COVID and for all the other medical concerns that are a part of life. And maybe it seemed like we just needed to do that. We just needed to do that and we would see light at the end of the tunnel. And then May and June arrived with a surge in COVID when nationally we relaxed our vigilance and the horizon moved out even further. And then it started to feel like, like maybe we just needed to make it through the summer. And then the systemic American racism that we've allowed to persist for centuries was laid, year, laid bare yet again and again. And we were mobilized with new urgency to respond to the murders of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and the shooting of Jacob Blake. 
the COVID pandemic, our nation's persistent, enduring endemic racism, and then the persistent howl of climate emergency reminding us again of its planet-threatening urgency. In these recent weeks, there have been wildfires and choking smoke and ominous orange sky days and hurricanes too. We find ourselves on a long haul, somewhere between departure and destination with this groan welling up in our bones. So, so I'm not gonna critique this people wandering out in the wilderness grumbling because they have no food. I may just sit down with them and do a little grumbling and groaning of my own. As we notice this long haul lament, this grumbling and this groaning bears and ours. The next thing to notice is this. God listens. The scripture says it three times in 14 verses. God listens. God hears the people grumbling in the wilderness. God takes their need seriously, and God provides, not just in this one grumbling story, but in each of them. The water is stagnant. God listens. God makes the bitter water fresh. There is no food, God listens. God provides quail in the evening and manna in the morning. The water runs out, God listens. God provides water from the rock. God provides enough each day for the living of that day. God isn't so much interested in critiquing the grumbling, but rather in establishing a relationship of trust. It's as if God says, in the wilderness, it's you and me. I'll listen to your need and I will provide all I ask is that you lean into that. That is how we'll get where we're going. Michael Chan says it like this, an important lesson from the wilderness is that Israel does not travel alone and neither do we. The God of the desert is a gift-giving, life-sustaining and prayer-hearing God. But in the wilderness, the challenge is to believe that those claims are true. And so it's also important to notice this. On this long haul journey, what the people are doing is living. Yes, they are somewhere between departure and destination. Yes, each new stage in the journey brings a new challenge. But what lies before them every day is life. What they are doing over the long haul is living life. Over the course of their 40 years in the wilderness, the Hebrew people will raise and nurture children and families. They'll have babies. They will gather manna in the morning. They will rest on the Sabbath. They'll get some commandments and they will learn with each other and with God how free people live. They will learn from their mistakes, sometimes not easily, but remembering that grace abounds. They will create with God new patterns for their worship. They'll make a portable ark and a tabernacle tent a movable place where they can meet God wherever they are in the midst of their journey. They will figure out with God and with each other new ways to live and to care for each other, ways to order their lives, to sustain their lives, and to make meaning over the long haul. They will raise up a new generation and they will live and move forward until that day when they do pass over into a land of promise. They are on a long haul, but the world doesn't stop with that diagnosis. 
With each stage of the journey, they find not only a challenge, but God's new provision. They find life to live with meaning each day and then the next. And so this Sunday, and for some weeks on into October, we'll embracing this worship theme that we're calling Long Haul Living with an emphasis on living. We'll name the challenges of this our long haul through pandemic, our journey from hurt toward healing, our journey from separation to connection, our journey from weariness to daily renewal and sustenance. And we'll sit with stories from scripture and look for ways that our ancient siblings found life to live in their various long haul journeys. And so this morning, I wanna give us two invitations two specific ideas for spiritual practices that might sustain us in these days, practices for long haul living. And the first is to do a little grumbling. Grumbling that names honestly our need and the need of the world. And then to bring that need to God and to look for God's provision. It's that simple, grumble and then pay attention. I invite us at the beginning of each day this week to pray with these questions. What do I need? What do I need? And what does the world need? And then pray, God, help me live life today. And then at the end of the day, pray reflecting on these questions. What need did I experience or see this day? How was it met? And where does it persist? Now remember, the people in the desert didn't recognize that manna at first, so they named it, what is it? <laughs> what is the manna? What is the what is it that is sustaining you? And then thank God for God's presence in the day, in every day, and ask for help tomorrow. Day by day by day. This prayer takes seriously our need and the deep need of the world and names it, grumbles it out, and then looks for manna. And the sec second invitation is to think a little this week on this question. What are you already doing that is sustaining you and sustaining the world? The invitation is just to look at the new things that we are doing, that you are doing in these days of pandemic and protest and see if we have already discovered and created new spiritual practices that are feeding us in the world. Maybe you are writing postcards that are empowering people to vote. Your bit of the anti-racism work that is ours to do. That is a spiritual practice that is opening up individual and collective freedom. Here's one I've noticed in my life. You know, these masks that we're wearing back home when I go for my morning or my afternoon walk, I've noticed that I keep my face covering down when it's just me. And then I pull it up when I see a neighbor approaching and they do the same. They, then masked, we pass by each other, we wave and we say hello. For me, it's become a kind of greeting. We can't shake hands or stand too close but we can put on our mask as an expression of our care for each other. You know, I like passing by folks who in their actions are communicating maybe just for a moment that they're thinking about and acting for my well-being and I for theirs. 
In these long haul days, what are you already doing that is sustaining you and others? Along with your need, name that too and do more things like that. So two practices for the week. This is our something to do. First, name your need and the need for the world and look for a little bit of manna. And then second, reflect a little and see if you have already created in this long haul time ways that are giving you life, ways that are bringing life into the world. Well, let's notice just one more thing and then we can pray. This is a long haul journey, it is. But the long haul journey through this wilderness is not forever. The wilderness is not forever. At the end of Exodus chapter 16, we read the first part today, at the end of that chapter, this manna story ends with this note. The Israelites ate manna for 40 years until they came to a habitable land. They ate manna until they came to the border of the land of Canaan. Manna, God's daily what is it, is the way that God sustains the people each day, every day of the long haul, and someday, they arrive. They arrive at the land of promise and the manna stops. They arrive in a place of new life, having lived life through the long haul. On the long haul and all its hardship, they have drawn closer to God and to each other. They have become a people, a community, and they reach a place where they can build something new, taking all the life they have lived and learned, and they can plant there and nurture there, life that will sustain them and all the generations that will follow all the way down to us. A little manna in the morning, a little water from the rock.